Everybody loves a wedding, with some exceptions. <laughs> I'm telling you, take it from me. The weddings have become so expensive now <laughs> that it is the father of the bride who cries at weddings. <laughs> Back in 2004, I was speaking in a very large meetings in the Middle East. I was preaching from the parable, Jesus' parable, on the wedding feast. And um, I explained to them that in the West, it's the father of the bride who cries at weddings. Well, they really looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate. And they didn't, and I knew that. I, I was hooking them in. I, I knew what I was doing because I know the culture. And so I went on to say, it is because in the West, it's the father of the bride who pays for the wedding. Well, they laughed, and, and they got it. Because in the Middle East, it's the father of the groom who pays for the wedding. And he's the one who cries at weddings. <laughs> and in fact, I'm going to show you in a minute the incredible picture that the Bible gives us of the wedding in a Jewish, ancient Jewish culture and all the intricacies of it. But before I do that, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 45. It is an impossibility for you to understand this psalm without understanding all the intricacies of an ancient Jewish wedding, because that's really what it's all about. In fact, Psalm 45 really is a most unique psalm in all of the Psalter. That's the book of Psalms. It's unique. There's no psalm like it. There are a lot of psalms that are similar to each other, but this psalm is just stands alone as a unique psalm because it is written to symbolize the wedding feast of the king with all of its splendor and with all of its beauty, with all of its sounds and sights and all of its emotions. And that is why this psalm is considered to be a messianic psalm. What is a messianic psalm? It's a psalm that has prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming 1,000 years before He was born in Bethlehem. You say, well, Michael, how do you know what is a messianic psalm and what is not? Well, the answer is really simpler than you think. A psalm that is quoted in the New Testament by the New Testament writers who say, this is fulfilled in Jesus is considered to be a messianic psalm. And this psalm is quoted in the New Testament, particularly in the epistle to the Hebrews, verses 8 and 9. If you look at the psalm, verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 45, those verses literally lifted out and applied to the Lord Jesus Christ in the epistle to the Hebrews chapter 1. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with oil of joy." You cannot really understand Psalm 45 without understanding an ancient Jewish wedding. Let me tell you about the wedding. Marriage back then was very different from our day. Someone was commenting the other day how younger people today are getting later and later in the marriage, and, and someone said that they, a couple got married so late that 
Medicare paid for their honeymoon. (laughs) But in the ancient Jewish culture, when the boy sees the girl from a distance, he goes home, talks to his parents, not to the girl. (laughs) And he would say, I want to marry her. And so the parents of the boy will go to the home of the parents of the girl, and they will sit together, and they will make an agreement. They agree on all kinds of details. I won't get into that. And then followed by a betrothal ceremony. A betrothal ceremony was serious stuff. It was an important thing. It was more than just an engagement party. It's more than just wearing the ring and saying, hey, I'm engaged. It it was a legally binding covenant. It, It was enacted in the presence of witnesses, and the oath is taken for a total commitment to one another. This was a very serious ceremony. The couple were as good as married. The only thing that was left to the marriage day is the physical union. But as far as in the eyes of each other, they're as good as married. Now, of course, you know this was the case with Mary and Joseph. They had this betrothal ceremony, and the Bible said she was betrothed to him, more just just engaged. The only thing left was physical union, and that is why at that time the Holy Spirit of God chose a virgin through whom the Lord Jesus Christ will be born before she marries to Joseph. In fact, breaking of that betrothal covenant was as serious as divorce. And that betrothal ceremony The husband, basically, during that moment, he will commit to a certain dowry. And depending on the wealth or the strength of his father financially, and depends on the length of the betrothal, because he's got to take time to come up with the dough before he marries her. And finally comes the wedding day, during which she'll be preparing and he will be preparing. And in the house of the bride... All of the bridesmaids and the cousins, uh, female cousins and the relatives and everybody's in the neighborhood, all the women would gather to help the bride get ready. And there's a whole lot of commotion and a whole lot of excitement. There is a bride preparing in the finest of clothes and jewelry and and perfume, and, and she's getting ready for that big day. At the same time, in the groom's father's house, the groom would be preparing with his attendant, with his friends, and with his groomsmen to go and march through the city to go and fetch the bride. In this case, the case of Psalm 45, the groom is the king, and therefore he had to dress in his royal attire. And then the groom and his party will march in a parade. They will march in a joyous parade. Often they would go through the city and other streets in order that people would come out and they said, hey, the groom is on his way to fetch the bride. And there he goes to the bride who has been prepared and being ready and waiting. And then as he gets her out of her father's house, they are back on the street again, often making the rounds in the main part of town And there is music and dancing and singing and a much larger party because it's a groom's party and it's a bride's party and the relatives and the friends and everybody running around going over back to the groom's house. 
And when they reach the groom's house, there is a celebration of all celebrations begin to take place. The feasting begins to take place. And depending on the strength, financial strength of the father of the groom, those celebrations can last from three days to three weeks. You can imagine feeding that crowd for three weeks. I mean, everybody who becomes your cousin at that point, you know. They, they all come to the wedding. But in Psalm 45, this is the king's wedding. It's not just the person who's well off. This is the king's wedding. Therefore, this celebration is a celebration of all celebrations. This is the wedding of all weddings. This is the wedding of all times. And before I get carried away, I want to give you an outline. Verses 1 to 9 of Psalm 45, you see the king is coming to his bride. Secondly, verses 10 to 12, we see the bride's preparation and readying of herself. And in verses 13 to 15, you see the bride's joy in encountering and entering into the king's palace, her groom. Let me put it another way for those of you who want to make it easier to remember, or those of you taking notes. The certainty of his coming, the conclusion of her waiting, and the consummation of all things. Did you get that? Let me repeat them. The certainty of His coming, the conclusion of her waiting, and the consummation of all things. The certainty of her coming. Beloved, the Bible teaches, the New Testament teaches, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the bridegroom, and the bride is His church that is made up of every nation and every generation, of all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, those who wash their robes with the blood of the Lamb, those who are gathered from every tribe and from every nation. The church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. And that is why preachers take Ephesians 5 and they preach from it in weddings because it says, for the groom, for the husband to love his wife, as Christ loved the church, and be ready to die for her. Psalm 45 is a prophecy about the coming of our groom, King Jesus, and it's an anticipation. It's a picture of King Jesus preparing the place for the bride, his bride, the church, and then coming back to take her back to his father's house. And when the place is ready, he is not going to delay, not one second. He'll come back, and he'll take us home. Listen to me. In his first coming, Jesus betrothed every believer in him on the cross of Calvary. In his first coming, he told everyone who belongs to him that I love you, that I died for you, that I've chosen you, that I paid the heaviest of dowry that any man can pay for you, that I paid with my own precious blood for you, that I am betrothing you to myself, that I'm committed to you for every day of your life and all the way until I take you to my father's house. And the psalmist tells us just a little bit about this groom. 3,000 years ago, we know him now as King Jesus, as our groom. But then he tells us about his 
trustworthiness. He tells us about his praiseworthiness. He tells us about his, the attractiveness of his character. He tells us about the beauty of his love. He tells us about the abundance of his joy that he and he alone can give. Verse 2, he says, the most excellent of men. Nothing like him. No one like him. The most excellent of men. What does that mean? When Jesus Christ is your bridegroom, you can be absolutely sure that you can never doubt His Word, that you can never doubt His truthfulness, that you can never doubt His keeping of His promises, that you can never doubt the rightness of His salvation to you. Our groom, King Jesus, said to us when He walked the earth that those whom the Father gives me, I lose none. He said that those whom I loved, I loved all the way to the end. He said that anyone would come to me, I would never reject. He said that those who believe in me shall have everlasting life, and it begins here and now. He said that those who serve me, my Father honors. This is our groom king, Jesus, and He's soon coming back to take us to His Father's house. Listen. When our groom king walked the earth, he spoke with power and with authority, so much so that even his enemies said, who is that? Who is that? The power of his righteousness, the power of his truthfulness, the power of his humility, that power caused his enemies to believe in him. John chapter 7 verse 46 tells us that the enemies of Jesus, the high priests and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the bishops of the church who do not like Jesus, who want to be politically correct and said Jesus is just one way of many ways, and they wanted to get rid of Jesus. They sent their soldiers to arrest Jesus, but they came back without arresting Him, and they said, no one ever spoke like this one. Another time in chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, verse 68, the disciples were excited about eating the food that He multiplied. They were happy for the miracles. They were glad for all the good things that Jesus is giving them. But then when He began to talk to them about the cost of discipleship and the cost of following Him, the masses have disappeared and they've gone away. And finally Jesus looks at the twelve and He says to them, Are you too want to leave? And here's what Peter said, where shall we go, Lord? Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is our groom king who is coming back to take us home to his father's house. When our groom walked the earth, he stilled the storm with the power of his word. He raised the dead by the power of his word. He cast out demons by the power of his word. He forgave sin to those who were chained into the slavery of sin by the power of His Word, and He still does the same today. All you need to do is come to Him. Is He your groom king? Is He your groom king? Or are you one of those spectators who are watching from a distance and seeing the wedding march going by? If He's not, He can be today. He said, when you come to me, I'll never reject you. Listen to me. (laughs) Those of us, the bride of Christ, those who have put our whole trust in Him, we must never, never forget 
that our victory does not come from physical force, that our victory does not come from coercion and manipulation, that our victory is not accomplished by human weapons. Like when the medieval church tried that, it failed miserably, but our victory comes from the power of His Word. Our victory comes from the power of His authority. Our victory comes from the power of who He is. Our victory comes from the power of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But you must understand the nature of His power. Otherwise, you'll miss out. You must understand the nature of His power. Look at verse 6. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. (laughs) You see, our king is not like a head of a state who gets elected a few years later. He's forgotten and gone in the history books. No, our king, our groom, King Jesus, is not like a dictator or a despot that when he dies, people rejoice. No, 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 no. Our king does not just have a temporary authority and a temporary power. No, his power is forever. His power, the power of the groom, our groom King Jesus is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. How many evers are these? (laughs) Amen. Amen. Give Him praise. In fact, verses 6 and 7, as I told you, would not have made sense until you see them taken from that psalm and is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Because only Jesus could have called God Father. The certainty of His coming, the conclusion of her waiting. Oh, what a glorious day that's going to be. What a glorious day. If you're not waiting for it, there's something wrong with your salvation. What a glorious day it's going to be when the bride's wait is going to be over. And her anticipation of that knock on the door will be over. The Bible said there's going to be a trumpet playing, and then they're going to be shouting. And the bride looked forward with expectations, being busy working and preparing and readying herself for him. As she waits, her wait comes to an end. Somebody said the difference between the guests at the wedding and the bride is very significant. Because guests at the wedding, they're looking in. But the bride is looking forward to her wedding. And let me ask you this. Are you a guest or are you part of the bride of Christ? Let me plead with you if you're not part of the bride of Christ that you'll be today. If you are not looking forward to the groom King Jesus coming back, chances are you're not part of the bride. Chances are you're a spectator, you're a guest. You might be a churchman or churchwoman. You might be a member of a church all your life, and you might be a religious person. Whatever, that, that is not what's going to get you to heaven. You've got to be part of the bride, and you can be today. Verses 10 to 15, there's a very, very significant conversation going here. Don't miss it. Underline it in your Bible. It's powerful. It's powerful. You see, the bride is torn. She's excited, looking forward, want to go and be with her groom, but also she's leaving home, leaving her past behind her. And here's what the psalmist is saying. He said, don't look back for what you have left behind. Don't look back. Your future is in the palace of the king. Your future is in a place called heaven. 
Forget the past with all of its emotional entanglement. Forget the past with all of its allure. Forget the past with all of its pull. Forget the past and remember your future. Remember who you are and who you will be and where you'll be for eternity. Not just for 10 years or 20 years or 50 years or 100 years. No, but forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's where you'll be. There are people who spend more time preparing for a vacation and for their retirement than they're spending for their eternity. The time is now. Begin to think of your future home. Remember who you are, who you will be, and where you'll be. Listen carefully, please. This is why the groom king said, If anyone comes after me, let him, let her deny himself. Take my cross every day and follow me. You see, that's your preparation as you're waiting for the groom to come back. That is why our groom king Jesus said that if you come to me, you must never allow anything or anybody or any relationship, even if it's a family relationship, to restrain you from wholehearted commitment to me. That's our preparation for the wedding feast. Our groom king said, you must be busy working for that day. That's our preparation for the wedding feast that is coming. And here's the great news that the psalmist is saying here. Look look at his words. He says, the king is going to do more than make up for anything that you've sacrificed for him. He is saying that he will replace all of your temporary things that you have sacrificed for him. Uh, He is saying that when you sit next to the king at the wedding feast in that palace of ivory laden with gold, you will wonder, why did you even get worried about the rubbish of this world? Because you have a different perspective. Not only that, look at verse 11. He said, when you honor your groom king in this life, When you love your groom king in this life with all of your heart, when you submit to your groom king in this life, when your life purpose is to please the groom king Jesus, when you look forward longingly for the return of your groom king Jesus, you will experience three things. He said you're going to experience an overwhelming love of your king Jesus. You're going to experience unspeakable honor that he'll bestow on you, and he'll give you unspeakable joy. And this love, honor, and joy will go on forever and ever and ever. Look at verse 13, 14, and 15. The psalmist tells us how the bride is going to be escorted by the bridegroom to his father's house. (laughs) I'm getting ready to shout, because soon and very soon, and maybe sooner than you think, whether we go to him first or he comes back to us first, are you going to hear those words from his lips? <laughs> Welcome home. I have been waiting for you. I have been preparing my father's house for you. I loved you with everlasting love. I have shown you my love on the cross. Now you can see it fully. 
I know that you have been faithful with little. Now I'm going to give you much. Come inherit your Father's kingdom. I know that you have been sacrificing much for me. I will give you all things in my Father's glory. I know that you have paid a price for speaking for me, for identifying with me, and for being my child. Now I'm going to let you inherit my Father's kingdom. I know that you have waited longingly for me, but the wait is over. I know now enter into your Father's glory. The certainty of His coming, the conclusion of her waiting, finally, the consummation of all things. The saddest thing to me personally that causes me to shed tears, the saddest thing is the thought that somebody might never get to hear those precious words from the lips of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the saddest thing in my life. There may be someone here today who is uncertain, unsure, that if Jesus will come this afternoon and that sky is open and the angel will blow the trumpet, and there'll be a shout. If you cannot be sure absolutely without a shadow of doubt that you're going to be with Him today, make this day to be the day in which you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Savior and Lord. There may be someone here today who's been hearing the gospel message again and again and again. Somebody's watching, and they inoculated themselves against the gospel message. They said, yeah, one day, someday, I might, when I'm older, when I'm in need, with this and that, you might never have another chance to respond to the gospel message. Today is the day, the Bible said. If you've never accepted His invitation, if you're still living for self, if you still think that if you do some good, somehow God is going to feel obligated to let you into His heaven, listen to me. That's the teaching of Hollywood. That's not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible said there is no other name under heaven by which men shall be saved. Only the name of Jesus, our bridegroom king. Come to Him. Come to Him today. Because you might never have another chance. And when you come to Him, you'll get to heaven based on His merit, not yours. Here's the truth. Listen carefully. In His first coming, King Jesus betrothed the believers to Himself. <laughs> but in His second coming, He's going to come and take us to His Father's palace. In His first coming, King Jesus stretched His hand, and He welcomed you. He knocked on your door and beseeched you to come. And when you came, He welcomed you in. But in His second coming, He's going to carry you all the way to glory. In His first coming, our bridegroom, King Jesus, made a betrothal covenant with us on the cross. But in His second coming, He's going to consummate all things and this covenant forever. In His first coming, He paid the dowry for His bride with the blood on the cross. 
In his second coming, he will take his bride to his father's home. In his first coming, Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that when I'm ready, when they are ready, I'm going to come back and take you with me. But in his second coming, he will do just that. In the book of Revelation, where John was privileged to be taken into heaven, and where he saw the future as it's happening before him. Because with God, there is no time limits. There is no past, present, and future. It's all present for him. And John was privileged to go up there and see it all. And he said, behold, he's coming with clouds. Do you know, in the Bible, whenever you see clouds, the word clouds doesn't mean the clouds that stop the sun from shining. It's, it means people. Whenever he says, coming with the cloud, that means people. These are the ones who loved him and gone ahead of us. Because the Bible said, Paul said, absence from the body is presence with the Lord. And he said, what does that mean then? The, the dead will rise first. Because we're going to see them, for those of us who are here, to us they are risen from the dead. But in reality, they're already in the presence of Jesus. He's going to come with the cloud and with a shout and the trumpet of the archangels. And the Bible said every eye is going to see him. The pagan eye is going to see him. Those who have rejected him are going to see him. Those who denied him are going to see him. A lot of people, millions and billions of people are going to see him. But not everyone is going to be with him. Only his bride, only his church, those who waited for him, only those who loved him with all their hearts, only those who have longed for His appearing, only those who loved His appearing. Let me ask you again, will you be part of that bride? Will you be part of His bride? Or will you be one of those people who stand there and see it and regret that you've never responded to His invitation? The decision is yours. He is calling you. He's inviting you. Will you come? Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.